You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hi folks, Sarah here, the founder of Live Feisty Media, the company that produces the podcast you are currently listening to. I just wanted to jump in here and invite you to our latest initiative here at Live Feisty, the Feisty Women's Performance Summit. On March 26th to 28th, we will be serving up a virtual summit like no other, designed specifically for active feisty women or anyone who wants to know how women can get the best out of our bodies throughout our lives. I think we all kind of figured out by now that a lot of sports and nutrition science studies, product and performance research is done on men and are a little confused maybe about what actually applies to us as women. So we collected experts from several arenas, physiology, psychology, nutrition science, and social sciences to get some answers. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit includes 20 educational sessions, plus networking events, group workouts, and an expo full of supportive brands. I seriously hope you can join us on March 26th to 28th, 2021. Tickets are only $149 and all sessions will be recorded and can be viewed up to two weeks after the event. For more information or to sign up, go to womensperformancesummit.com. The link will be in the show notes, of course. That's womensperformancesummit.com. See you there, feisty friends. Hit Play, Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branch chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to noonlife.com. That's noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, noonlife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Hello, strong, feisty woman. I am so excited to bring you this week's guest, Carol Krukoff. Carol is a yoga therapist at Duke Integrative Medicine in Durham, North Carolina. And I have known Carol professionally for decades. I have so much respect for her work. She has written numerous books, including her latest, Yoga Sparks, 108 Easy Practices for Stress Relief in Minutes or Less. And in addition to practicing yoga for more than 40 years, Carol has spent a decade studying martial arts and is a second degree black belt in karate and sensei, which I did not know until this conversation. Carol has also used yoga to help herself heal after several serious health scares. She ended up, this is early on when I met her a couple decades ago, in a coma for four days after having severe hyponatremia 
after running a marathon in Jamaica. That's when we were like, you must drink, drink, drink. And now we know you can't just drink, drink, drink. You can end up with water intoxication and it can be fatal. She had open heart surgery for a congenital valve defect that resulted in an aneurysm in her aorta. And just several years ago, she had radiotherapy to treat a benign brain tumor. So she has literally literally been forced to practice what she preaches. Myself, I've done yoga on and off my entire adult life, sometimes more consistently than others. But this conversation left me with a really deep appreciation of what yoga really is and left me inspired to start a daily practice of my own, at least with some breath work. You can learn more about Carol at HealingMoves.com. Before we get to the show, I just want to thank everyone again for the kind reviews and the messages. We have gotten more sponsors for the show. We're picking up listeners, and it's been really super. Speaking of super, I also want to remind everyone that we have myriad free social channels where these conversations continue, and we're women helping women, and it's really awesome. We have Feisty Menopause on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow us there. There's a private Facebook group that's easy to get into. Just ask at hit play, not pause. And just a reminder that we do have a membership. And this is where I take all this information that we talk about on the show and go deeper and distill it into digestible forms that are actionable for our members. It's a great place to connect with hundreds of other women and take advantage of all of our member discounts as well. So you can check that out at feistymenopause.com. Come on over and join us. Okay, truly enough of me. Let's get on with the show. I am very, very excited to have you on the show because I've been a fan of your work. I've read your work since prevention you know which is yeah know, 25 years ago I can't even yeah we, we both were writing for them around the same time I think yeah 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 we were um so I'm interested in it's funny Carol sometimes when I talk about yoga or I think someone should do yoga it it's almost like it can be almost like telling someone oh, you should take up cycling, and then all of a sudden sending them out on a downhill bike down a black diamond ski, right? Right. Like you can just go into a class that like different variations of yoga don't even resemble each other. And for a while, yoga became, and I'm sure you did not appreciate this, the yoga butt, the yoga arms, the the yoga Yoga abs, (laughs) all of it. Um, All of that. So if you were to define yoga, like, let's just start there. How would you define it? Yoga is a a very ancient discipline, and it is designed to quiet your mind so you can connect to the still, small voice of your heart. So the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which are the classic text of yoga written in about 400, um, say that yoga is the stilling of fluctuations of consciousness. And then once the mind is quiet, you can better connect to who you really are. The word yoga comes from the Sanskrit to yoke or to join. So what is it that we're yoking or uniting in yoga? And it's really, it's many things. 
On one level, we're connecting the mind and the body through the breath. And on another level, we're connecting our individual selves with a sense of something bigger and something greater. So despite the misconception that yoga is a workout or another form of physical activity, yoga is a very ancient, powerful form of mind-body medicine. It's really a spiritual discipline. It's a practice of awareness, of becoming aware of our true nature. Do you think that it got changed in that way at the time that it did because Western people were afraid of it being a religion in a Christian society? Is that a loaded question? But I think that... Not at, not at all. Yeah. It is not uncommon. You know, I, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, so we're kind of the buckle of the Bible belt. And it is not uncommon for me to hear from people that say, oh, I can't practice yoga. My My pastor says, if you quiet your mind, the devil will come in. People now, are still I, saying that? Oh, they're still saying that. Oh, so boy. when I first started teaching, it was at the Durham VA. So it was older adults in their 60s, 70s, 80s. And there were many just the very traditional fundamentalist Christians who felt that it was a Hindu religion and you're praying to deities. Um, for this reason, I often, uh, I don't do chanting in my classes. Um, I do use Sanskrit names, but it's, you do not need to believe in any particular God or even believe in God at all. That said, it is very spiritual because yoga is designed to bring us into awareness of our true nature, which is the fact that we are mortal. <laughs> and that may sound sort of uh, morbid, but it is the truth of things. And when we are in touch with that, we can appreciate how beautiful and what a gift this life is. Um, and back to your point, did yoga get this way because of concern about religion? Possibly. I think in the West, we tend to just kind of get on the exercise bandwagon. And yoga was seen, when people say, I'm going to practice yoga, what they usually mean is, I'm going to do postures. And people think that yoga and postures are the same thing. And postures are just one part of the yoga practice. Interesting. Just one little piece mm -hmm. of the yoga practice. The postures are... A scaffolding. When we practice the postures, it's not just what we do, but it's how we do it. How we are relate to our physical sensations, our energetic uh, sensations, our emotions, our thoughts, being aware of all of these things. And in the West, one of the things that as a yoga teacher, I really uh, find so interesting and challenging is helping people get out of that mentality that they have to perform in class. They have, you know, they have to right. get their hand onto the floor. Right. They have to get their hand on the floor. They have to do this. And you know, one of the blessings, one of the few blessings of teaching on Zoom is that people can't look around and see what everybody else is doing. I always say it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. When I teach in person, I say pretend we're all on our own little yoga island. Your yoga mat is your own little yoga island. 
And you're surrounded by other islands and all those natives are friendly, but it doesn't matter what they're doing. Just do what's right for you. But classes, there are many yoga classes that are called yoga. And in my opinion, they're really not yoga classes. They're exercise classes. Yeah. They're taught I have been in, in this, competitive I, style yoga classes. Right. For sure. and, yeah. and, and trust me, I love exercise class. I'm an, I'm an old gym rat. And I, if it's going to be an exercise class, great. But don't call it a yoga class if you're pushing people and telling them that pain is a good thing and they need to look a certain way. Right. It's not a yoga class. No, that, that, that is an excellent, that's, thank you. That is an excellent clarification because I think you talk about it in Relax into Yoga for Chronic Pain about how many of the postures were actually developed so you could sit more comfortably in meditation or like be still. Exactly, exactly. So when we say yoga in the West, we're talking about Hatha yoga. Hatha yoga is one branch of yoga that, all branches of yoga seek to reach enlightenment. But in Hatha yoga, the path to enlightenment is through the physical body. So there are physical poses that we do. And the intention of the poses isn't so we get better standing on our head or so we can sit in lotus position. Um, the intention of the poses, uh, they were created because disease is viewed as an obstacle to enlightenment. So if you want to sit quietly in meditation and your stomach hurts or you have a headache, you're not going to be able to reach enlightenment. So through the poses of Hatha Yoga, it's designed to move energy through the body to make you strong enough and able enough to sit still in meditation and reach enlightenment. <laughs> not that I've gotten there yet, but I'm still trying. <laughs> Well, I, I definitely want to talk a bit about your journey into yoga. You know, I, I want to talk about certainly for our audience and, and some of the research that has been done and what your thoughts are. But but before we get there, maybe maybe this is a good time to talk about how many times that you've sort of like faced your own mortality, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and yeah. your own journey to becoming a yoga therapist. What a, what a, yeah, that's, what a surprise. So um, my birthday was uh, a couple weeks ago, February 17th. I turned 67. Happy birthday. And uh, up until, and I'm really enjoying uh, the listening to your feisty menopausal ladies. Because oh, I've, I've been there. And um, in my 40s, uh, I was, I did martial arts. I spent 10 years studying martial arts. When my kids got involved in martial arts, I wasn't really going to pursue it. Um, but it became, we had a family membership. So rather, because both my kids were enrolled, they said, oh, Mrs. Krukoff, you can take classes too. So I started doing martial arts and I got so into it because I'm this little woman. I'm 5'4". I'm 112 pounds. I had never made a fist before. Wow. And 10 years into my karate experience, I learned that I can break concrete with my fists, with my feet. I mean, it was a huge um, revelation to me. Wow. I'd been a runner for years. I'd never yeah. been a competitive runner or fast runner, but I ran my three to five miles every day for years. So I've always been active. But being a black belt, was just such an experience. And I got my black belt at 42. 
my first degree black belt, my second degree black belt at 45. So to celebrate my 50th birthday, my upcoming 50th birthday, one of my black belt buddies and I, a woman who's 10 years younger than than I, Rita Whitney, we both um, tested together for our black belt, so we really bonded. We decided that we were going to do a marathon in Jamaica mm-hmm. in honor of my 50th birthday. And this was December uh, 2003. Uh, and I was going to turn 50 in February. Well, I almost didn't make it to my 50th birthday. Um, because although I'd been a runner for years, I never ran long distances at, at 15 miles. My knees just said no. Mm-hmm. And Rita wasn't a runner. So we decided we'd walk and we trained, we trained, you know, we did our lot of training. We walked, so we walked the reggae marathon in Jamaica in December. And although we had trained, we'd been training, you know, it was December. So we'd been training in the winter. So I wasn't acclimated. I was writing about fitness and health. So I thought I knew about fitness and health. But what I didn't know about was exercise-induced hyponatremia. So we were out on that that, point. People did not. People did not. I was interviewed on uh, Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel a couple years after that as a survivor of hyponatremia. I mean, it was only when healthy people started dying in marathons. Did During marathons, did, did people know? So I got a little dizzy in the last mile of the reggae marathon. It was very hot, very flat course. And um, I said to Rita, you know, I get dizzy when I turn my head. She said, don't turn your head. <laughs> so we're continuing to walk and the, the van, you know, we're kind of to the end of the, of the group. And this van pulls up and says, are you okay? I said, well, I'm a little bit dizzy. So they gave me water. Oh, boy. So they gave me, they made me drink. They took my pulse, and it was fine. They, they made me drink several bags of water, which was the worst thing that they could have done. Mm-hmm. So I made it across the finish line. I have that picture, you know, that automatic <laughs> picture they take. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Rita is, like, cool as a cucumber. I am so swollen. My face is swollen. Uh, and of course, my brain was swollen. This is what happens in hyponatremia. I, right over the finish line, I collapsed. I had several seizures. Uh, they took me by helicopter to the marathon was in one city. I think it was in a grill. They took me to another city. Anyway, they called my husband, who's a doc at Duke, and I wound up being air ambulance to do to uh, Duke. And I was on a ventilator. They didn't have a ventilator on the air ambulance. So the nurse hand-bagged me the whole way. I'm, I'm now Facebook friends with Jackie Farley. Shout out to Jackie Farley, who saved my life. Um, the marathon was on a Saturday. You know, the one marathon I've ever done in my life, I don't remember crossing the finish line. I have the picture, but my I've lost memory from that portion. I woke up on a Wednesday I was in the neurointensive care unit at Duke, and I had no idea how I got there. So that was kind of my first experience in realizing that I could practice yoga from the intensive care unit. Hmm. I my were you leg, into yoga at the time? Oh yeah, I've been okay. pract- I've been I've been taking yoga classes since my early twenties, so more than forty years. But my first, the first 20 years of my yoga life were going to a weekly class. I was a reporter at the Washington Post. And, and Celine, I'm so old that when we started at the Washington Post, we used typewriters. 
The first year that I was there, we converted to computers, and those computers had no ergonomic sensibility. So I was like hunched over. I was this 22-year-old in high heels and a floppy bow tie power suit trying to get on the front page, and I developed incredible neck pain. So I went, and I was also a runner. I had interviewed Jim Fix and started running after interviewing Jim Fix. Loved running. Um, and my, my first 20 years of my yoga life were just, I'd go to my Tuesday class. And it would be this oasis of calm in, in my week. And it wasn't like many people. I came to yoga because I wanted the flexibility because my legs were tight from running. And I wanted the relaxation and I wanted the, you know, to ease my neck pain. I did a yoga teacher training in 2000. By then we had moved to North Carolina. My husband's a cardiologist at Duke and I was freelancing for the post, still writing a column for the post called Body Works and freelancing for a lot of different magazines like Prevention and Yoga Journal. And at that time in 2000, there weren't many yoga teacher trainings. Now that's like the next big money thing in yoga is teacher trainings and you can't spit without hitting a yoga teacher or yoga teacher training. But back then there were not many trainings and a very amazing yoga teacher from Canada, Esther Myers, uh, opened a yoga teacher training right down the street from me um, because her brother was a professor at Duke and she wanted to get out of the Toronto winters. So it was a two year training and over the course of those two years, um, we did a six-day intensive and lots of homework in between. So it was a 750-hour training. I was not intending to practice, to teach yoga. I wanted to deepen my own practice. I thought, wow, there's this great training so close to me. How can I not do it? My first book was coming out, Healing Moves, How to Cure, Relieve, and Prevent Common Ailments with Exercise. And I thought, well, it would be a good credential for my book to be a yoga teacher. As part of my teacher training, Esther required us to do 12 hours of community service. So for my 12 hours of community service, I volunteered to teach yoga at the Durham VA. So my husband, Mitch, is a, was a cardiologist there. He was in the cath lab at the time. And they had a gerontology rehabilitation program there called Gerafit, where these mostly men, because it was the VA and veterans, there were some women, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, who were pretty sick guys who had had bypasses and were using um, oxygen for COPD and hip replacements, diabetes. Um, they would do cardio and they would do strength training. And I said, well, I'll come in and offer yoga. And they said, well, we can't pay you. And I said, no, that's fine. I need to do volunteer work. And I figured I'd volunteer there for 12, my 12 weeks and fulfill my requirement. And um, I wound up volunteering there for five years because wow. it was such an incredible experience. First, when I walked in to this room with these old guys, I thought, oh, my God, I cannot do sun salutations with these people. I'm going to kill them. I was just terrified that I would hurt them. So I asked if I could just watch them do their floor exercise program. They said, sure. So I, I just sat and watched, and they did things like they got on all fours, hands and knees, and they did something they called hump and slump, hump and slump. Cat and the light cow. bulb went off. And I said, <laughs> well, they're already doing cat-cow, so if I do that, I probably won't kill them. And then they would sit on the floor, 
propped up by their hands with their legs out straight. And I said, okay, they're already doing Dandasana. They were mm-hmm. already doing Cobra. They were already doing Plank. So I took the stuff that they were already doing and I added the breath and I added the awareness and I added the approach. Mm. And it's the approach that is so um, challenging for many people. I feel really lucky that I started to teach with veterans because veterans and athletes, like many of the people who probably are your followers, Celine, they're competitive athletes. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be a competitive athlete or you're a soldier, to some extent, you've got to disconnect from your body. Mm. So you can do the stuff that you need to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember when I was in black belt training and, you know, we'd be comparing our bruises from breaking board. Well, you don't bruise when you break the board. You bruise when you don't break the board or <laughs> right you exactly. don't break the break. And, and the, the sensei saw us like comparing. I don't want you talking about your hurts. You know, we don't talk about our hurts. You just got to just suck it up. You got to go to your happy place or you really... Athletes and soldiers sacrifice their body. They create this disconnect. And I would be teaching to the VA, these guys in the VA, and I'd be teaching a pose, and I'd see this guy get all red in the face. And I'd go over and I'd say, Joe, are you feeling okay? And he'd go, yes, ma'am. He had no idea how he felt. He had no idea. So helping people learn a new approach to movement that's not about pushing yourself to the ultimate. Yoga is about balance. So you want to balance effort with surrender. You want to be courageous, but you also want to be cautious. You want to balance doing with undoing, both at the same time. So taking each movement to a point of challenge where you feel like, ooh, ah, yeah, yeah, I feel this is, ooh, ah, this is kind of good, but not to strain. That's the yoga. And many people, you know, I'll say, well, how does it feel? Does it hurt? Well, no, not really. Yes, it does. If they say not really, it does. So find, where is that therapeutic threshold? You don't want to be lazy, but you don't want to be pushy. That place is really hard. Well, I was going to say, it's very hard for athletes who are used to just working through pain, too. Right, exactly. If you say it hurts, then it's like, well, okay, it's supposed to hurt, right? But you're saying it's not supposed to hurt. In yoga, it is not supposed to hurt. Now, if if people have chronic pain, Mm -hmm. and they're coming with a baseline of pain, and you say, if it hurts, don't do it, then they won't do anything. So that's, that's not there. So you don't want it to increase. If you've got... In existing pain, you don't want it to increase the pain. So you want to find that really therapeutic threshold where it's challenging, but it's not a strain. And if people can't tell, a really good key is the breath. So what's going on with your breath? If you are cannot breathe comfortably, you're probably doing too much. If you are holding your breath or there's any compromise in your breath, you're probably doing too much. And if people aren't sure where I come to it as a yoga teacher specializing in working with older adults and people with health challenges, I want people to back off. I want people to do less and make their way to that to that point. That's all excellent advice. Like excellent advice that I've <laughs> not I've not heard laid out that way. It's just like and I've done yoga on and off 
since we have met. So that is excellent advice. So let's let's go back. Like, so you're lying in the ICU hospital bed and you realize <laughs> that you can do yoga where you are. Yeah, well, when I was lying in the hospital bed, I, I'm very lucky that I don't remember those four days that I was in a coma. My family was pretty terrified. My I'm husband sure. was pretty sure I would be on dialysis. Um, when I woke up, I had a big bandage across my forehead. I had 37 stitches in my forehead. I had a big bump on my nose and a chip in my tooth because I had been um, convulsing so much they tied me down. They tied my wrists and my ankles. My knee was killing me. And what it turns out happened is that when somebody was examining me, they forgot to put the bed rails up and oh, I no. face planted. I fell out of bed in the intensive care unit on my face. So that's where the 37 stitches in my forehead and my nose and the crack in my teeth, all fixed, all fixed. You know, oh, yeah. you look great. <laughs> You know, all all fine. My knee really hurt because it had been bound. And when I fell off the bed, it twisted my knee. Um, but when I woke up, it was the craziest thing. I call it post-traumatic bliss syndrome. It took me a while to kind of figure out, where was I? What happened? I am usually a kind of hyper and maybe anxious person. I was not worried at all. I just felt like I was in total bliss. I just was so lucky so grateful to be alive. And I could lie in my bed and I could breathe and I could do relaxation practice. I could do gentle movement. I could, um, you know, I could do chanting if I wanted. I don't do a lot of chanting, but I do some. Um, I could do breathing practice. It's, um, you know, when people say, well, I can't do yoga because I can't sit on the floor. I can't sit cross-legged. I say, you know, there's only one thing you need to be able to do to practice yoga. If you can breathe, you're in. And, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm specializing in working with older adults and people with health challenges. And sometimes it's just breathing. I've had the privilege of teaching someone, you know, in their last stage of, of life and, you know, yoga in bed. And she was, a, she was a lovely woman, and she was so upset because she felt she couldn't pray because she was a Catholic and she couldn't get on her knees. And I said, well, what, what, is there another gesture? And so we did prayer hands. And she felt like she, she felt like she couldn't pray if she couldn't get on her knees. And we just sort of talked through, well, what else could you do? And yeah, and that's yoga. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that is... Hmm. Okay, that's that has taken me all kinds of places in my mind. Um, <laughs> but but I think but it's but it's wonderful. And I and I and my sensibility is to to segue into some of what I wanted to talk about specifically for this menopausal audience because sure. if, you know if you if you look at the literature and you go into PubMed, you can see you know there's not it's not unequivocal research, but there's pretty good research that. Um, you know, yoga has shown benefits for hot flashes and anxiety and depression and a lot of the things that are happening when the hormones are fluctuating and cortisol is up and, you know, causing all the, these stress responses. And it, it seems to me that the what you have just outlined and talked about, like you're practicing yoga if you're doing this breathing, 
might have a lot to do with the benefits that are showing up in these studies. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, stress is, of course, going to exacerbate anything that's going on with our system. It's like if you've got a weak link and you're under stress, whatever that weak link is, whether it's your GI system or your musculoskeletal system or your hormonal balance, it's going to be affected. One of the very first pieces of literature I ever saw, and this was back when I was actually physically at the post, so a long time ago, it was a study looking at breathing and hot flashes, just oh, what wow. you're talking about, and that yoga breathing, the relaxation breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, in that study reduced the number of hot flashes and the intensity of hot flashes. How would you define and yoga breathing as it was used in that study so in this so there there are many kinds of yoga breathing Mm -hmm. in in yoga breathing techniques are called pranayama which and there are all kinds and some are kind of extreme and out there Um, but what i tend to recommend and Mm -hmm. practice is sort of basic good breathing mechanics which is a relaxed abdominal breath so diaphragmatic breathing so bringing the air completely to fill the lungs so that when you fill the lungs, I I often ask people to put their hands on their low belly, just rest one or two hands below their belly button. And I have on my YouTube channel, I've got some audios that kind of take people through uh, yoga, relaxation, breathing. And when you inhale and fill the lungs with breath, with a relaxed belly, your belly will round and you're and you're and you'll feel that swelling into your hands and then when you exhale the belly sinks inward breathing in the belly rounds the ribs expand the upper chest broadens and fills that's really the three-part breath breathing out everything softens and in our culture unfortunately we're all breathing or we wouldn't be here Um, but in our culture many people are very shallow chest breathers And particularly when we're under stress, and that's kind of a self-perpetuating vicious cycle because when we're breathing up in the chest, we really don't get enough air, and then the body, that makes the body more stressed, so we do this stress breathing. And just taking a moment, it resets the nervous system. So breathing is such an interesting function. Breathing is the only physiologic function that you can do automatic, you will do automatically. Thank goodness you do not have to think about it. You will breathe, but you can also take control of it. So both the voluntary and the involuntary nervous system can be involved. So when you take control of your breath, when you purposely alter the way that you're breathing, it provides this very unique doorway into the nervous system. So it really is a way to kind of reset the nervous system, this relaxation breathing. And that's the kind of breathing they were doing in this study and the the kind of breathing I teach and recommend and practice myself, particularly when people have anxiety or insomnia Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. or any of these other stress-related conditions. And it's, it's proper breathing mechanics in the teacher training that I co-direct at Duke where we train yoga teachers how to work with older adults. We have a very excellent um, respiratory therapist who comes and talks about breathing and it's it's what they teach to patients who have COPD 
many people just do not understand good breathing mechanics. And we're all trying to look thin, so many people are sucking in their bellies. Uh, the idea that you actually want to relax your belly and let it poof out, ooh, that's, you know, if you're a singer or you play a wind instrument or you do yoga or martial arts, you get that. But most other people are, what? Relax my belly, let it poof too. out? Yeah, yeah. To be yeah. able to take those breaths. So a couple of questions, because, I mean, you did mention there are so many different, I could give you a billion different recommendations. I've heard like inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth, dragon breathing, this shit, like what the, what you were describing is incredibly simple. Um, yeah. Is, is there anything to the nostril switch side breathing nostrils in and out of the mouth? <laughs> Alternate yeah. nostril breathing. Right. Yes. Well, there are just many different um, techniques and I go for simple because so many people are, um, don't understand good breathing mechanics. I prefer to teach real, the relaxed abdominal breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people want a little bit more, uh, a way to enhance the effects of relaxation is to make the exhale longer than the inhale. Right. right. So when you make the exhale longer than the inhale, it tells your central nervous system that you're fine. Because what happens, you know, just think about you're rushing around, you're under stress, you've had a very busy day, you finally sit down, what do you do? (sighs) (laughs) It's that long (laughs) exhale, it's that long exhale. What I advise people not to do is count. Like, you got to do it for a certain, you got it, that drives me crazy. There's, there's this certain kind of breathing out there that people try to do where you inhale for a certain number and then you hold it and then you exhale for a certain number. I am so not a fan of holding your breath, especially for the population that I work with, which is older adults. Um, more than half of people over 65 have hypertension. And what happens when you hold your breath? What do you think happens to your, your blood, blood pressure, pressure when you up. hold your breath? Yeah. So don't hold your breath. And if people are trying to breathe for a certain count, they're going to be holding their breath. Well, so it also the stresses I, you out a little bit. I which think, stresses like. you out. Which stresses <laughs> you out. So the way I like to teach it is to just, first, first is breath awareness. Number one is just notice your breath. Just notice your breath. And just notice where it's moving and don't even try to change it. Just notice your breath because the breath is the link between the body and the mind. And when we're watching our breath, we're in this moment. We can't be worried about the future or thinking about the past. If we're watching our breath, we're in this moment. So that takes us into the moment. So first is breath awareness. Then is the relaxed abdominal breath. Just learn how to relax your belly. Take a full deep breath in. And easy breath out. And in yoga, we say the nose is for breathing, the mouth is for eating. So in and out through the nose, if at all possible. Now, there are certain conditions like when people have COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or asthma, which is, can be a kind of pulmonary disease, or if they're short of breath, breathing in through the nose and out through pursed lips can be useful because in these particular lung conditions, people find because of the lung damage, it's hard to get a complete exhale. 
And when you purse your lips and you exhale through pursed lips, then it creates a back pressure that helps you exhale. So if people are really, and I found when I was, I had uh, some arrhythmia issues after my heart surgery, I've had a couple of cardiac ablations, but when I was in atrial fibrillation and my heart was going really fast, I found myself inhaling through my nose and outlet. So people are in a particularly stressful condition, inhaling through the nose, out the inhaling, exhaling through pursed lips can be useful. But so in general... Congenital heart thing? You just sort of came into yes. left field from the, from the heart. Yeah, sorry about that. But you used so it to, I, for your, again, I for your was, own healing, which is a really interesting... For my own healing. Point. I was born with a bicuspid aortic valve. So the That's aortic right. valve of the heart has three leaflets. In my case, two of the leaflets were fused. So the pediatrician knew immediately because you put a stethoscope on my chest and I had a heart murmur. And, um, and the pediatrician said, I'm only telling you this because I don't want to worry you, but someday, you know, somebody's going to pick it up and I want you to know that we've heard it. It was called a functional murmur. My activities were not to be curtailed and I was very active. I did a lot of, um, I was a dancer when I was younger I, I danced and, you know, back in the day we didn't. If you were a girl and you wanted to move, that was sort of it. <laughs> we didn't it. have <laughs> soccer. and But I loved to dance. And then I was a runner and I did karate. But as I got older, that valve got very, very narrow. It's called stenotic. And it had also created an aneurysm, oh. which because it was malformed valve, instead of pumping the blood straight up through the, the vessels, it was banging into the side of the vessel. So I had a... And aneurysm. So I had open heart surgery. I was 54 when I had open heart surgery. Uh, and that was another example where I used my yoga practice to heal. And as a result of having the scar tissue, I, I wound up having some um, atrial fibrillation. So I have used my practice um, a lot. I'm picking um, up on that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been really vital. And at the time that I had my heart surgery was 54. I was doing the Ashtanga yoga practice, which is a really vigorous, intense practice. I loved it, um, but it really wasn't appropriate for me when I was recovering from my heart surgery. And then as I've gotten older, you know, I'm a thin white postmenopausal woman woman, so I've got low bone density. So some of the movements that are in the Ashtanga practice, uh, particularly forward bends with straight legs, are contraindicated. I mean, they can cause vertebral fractures. So I have changed my practice a lot. Um, so going back to the breathing, uh, in and out through the nose is generally preferred. If people are under a lot of stress or have these extra conditions in through the nose and out through pursed lips can be useful. And then extending the exhalation, the way I like to teach extended exhalation is just for half people count to yourself, the length of your inhale and the length of your exhale. And it, whatever, whatever number you can, it can be one, two, three, four, inhale, one, two, three, four, exhale, whatever, whatever works. You count, your count, Try to make it even, and then try to make the exhale a little longer. And that is a great technique for reducing stress, for getting to sleep at night. Um, just make your exhale longer than your inhale. 
we've we've mentioned a couple of different types of yoga practice now, and I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are if somebody is looking for a yoga practice to sort of complement their life at this time, to complement their athletic activity. We have a lot of endurance athletes as well as CrossFit people in our audience. Um, bring down the stress, do all these things, you know, help balance us through this big transition in life. Like wh- what should they look for? Like what, what kind of yoga practice should, should they step into first? What should they look for? They should look for a teacher that they relate to and someone who is experienced. Um, again, there's so many teacher trainings out there and people can be a registered yoga teacher um, with 200 hours under their belt. And that's not, I I would look for someone, particularly if you're, you're menopausal, you're an athlete, you've been, I would look for someone who's been teaching for quite a while and practicing for quite a while. And for my two cents, if you're a competitive athlete and you're used to being competitive, I would look at yoga as an opportunity to, try on another way of being. So not to look at this as competitive. This is your practice for you, whatever your goals are to to relax, to get more in touch with yourself. Um, I used to think when I started yoga that you advanced in yoga by doing ever more increasingly difficult poses. Right, like I can get pigeon and get my head. Oh, on my, now on I my can, foot. now I can do <laughs> now I can do crow pose and I can balance it, and that's all fun. And right. yeah, I've been there, and that's that's all fun. But there comes a point at which I think to be advanced in yoga means to be a kinder, nicer person to yourself and others. You know, can you be kind and nice to yourself and others? People can do a beautiful pose. And then they go out on the street and they flip somebody the bird. You know, that's, that's, yoga is not just what you do on the mat. Yoga's magic really happens when you take the lessons off the mat and you bring it into your daily life. That, <laughs> that really uh, came true for me when I first started teaching yoga. I was, you know, still a second degree black belt and kind of a, feeling my my tough oats and you know I could I can kick through concrete and you know I'm I'm not going to start a fight but if you start a, <laughs> you start with me you know I'll take I'll, I'll I'll kick out your knees you know when you're a little little woman that's what you go for you go don't go for the groin you just take out their <laughs> knees <laughs> people are only tall cuz they're standing up so you put them there <laughs> so I was I was just starting to teach a class in the community and I was driving um to the bank and I turned to go into the bank parking lot and somebody cut me off and it was just this jerk so somebody cut me off and I did what was instinctual for me at the time which was to stick my hand out the window and start to make a gesture at this person I can't even and picture I, you doing that Carol I'm looking I'm at you as the serene, uh, serene woman right now going <laughs> I can't even imagine it <laughs> I wish this was, she just gave me the bird. I wish this was a, a video podcast. I froze. Oh, I will so wait, My hand anyway. was out the window. I had the fist and I was going to put my finger up and then it suddenly washed over me. Suppose that was one of my yoga students. Right. Like I, I, I thought, wow, this yoga teaching thing is 
like a much bigger, it's not just what I do for an hour when I'm in front of these people. It's like how I live my life. So I, I pulled over and my heart was pounding and I thought, whoa, well, what would my teacher do? I said, well, Esther would probably say, just find your breath, <laughs> watch your breath, take a few breaths, and then, you know, send that person some compassion. I mean, maybe this person was rushing to the hospital because they just learned that their kid was hit by a car. Or maybe right. this person was just a jerk. Who knows? But so I did the I did the love and kindness prayer. I said, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be peaceful, may you be safe. That's amazing. So over time, can That's you can story. you picture the difference between a person whose habit is to shoot the bird and changing to be a person who takes a deep breath and sends some loving kindness? What does that do for my blood pressure? Right, right. No, I, I I'm picking up like I, I, right. Yes. That it's is, a way uh, it's of so, life. Self. Yeah. It's a way of life. So yoga postures are just one piece of the yoga practice. There's postures, there's breathing, there's meditation, and then there are principles. Principle, and one of the yoga principles is ahimsa, which means nonviolence, non-harming. So that's non-harming, not just in not beating somebody else up, but it's, it's how you speak to other people. Oh, and how you speak to yourself, something that's been, I, I just was working with somebody on Zoom on a client, her self-talk, I mean, she is really hard on herself. And she, I, I let her talk, and then when she finished talking, I said, wow, so what would it be like if you were a little bit more compassionate with yourself? What, what would it be like to notice that this is what you're feeling, and can you... Can you be kind to yourself? I mean, if that was your friend, what would you tell your friend? Um, people can be really hard on themselves. And they call themselves stupid and they hate their bodies and they oh, hit themselves. The My stupid mm -hmm. fat thighs. And so yoga is about becoming friends with our befriending our body. We're all just trying to do the best we can. <laughs> that yes, so much wisdom going on right here. So look for a teacher with experience. Yes. Look for an experienced teacher who has their own practice, whose practice, the best classes come out of a teacher's own practice. And a teacher who creates an environment where you feel safe and you're free to do what you want to do. I mean, touch has become huge. Back in the day, people, you know, yoga adjustments and people would come over and do some pretty hunky things. I think that has changed some. Teachers should ask, if they're going to touch you, they should ask permission every time. Um, and sometimes people don't want to be touched. Yeah. So don't, that's don't your, your right. Twist my hips or do it like if I don't, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm not going yeah. there, please don't push me into that position. Yeah. yeah. So it used to be that, oh, it was all about the adjustments and blah, blah, blah. But I, I think that's, hopefully that's changed. So find an experienced teacher Find one where, who is welcoming to you. And it's not about keeping up with the teacher. And the teacher is not showing off. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's your practice. In fact, when I'm teaching, I will demonstrate. But I'm not, I'm not going not full practicing. out. It's not my yeah. practice. 
So that segues me into, I, I wanted to get to the last part of this because you have a book called Yoga Sparks out too, <laughs> which, you know, we often think of yoga as something you do or you don't do. And you've done a wonderful job of explaining all the different facets of yoga and how if you're breathing, you can be doing yoga. And I imagine like some of these are just 60 second moments in this book, right? Things that you can do in 60 seconds during your day. Um what is that all about? Like, is that just the, what you're talking about? Just sort of like plugging into all these parts of yoga through your day to accomplish these ends of being kinder and being less stressed out and all of that? Yeah, it's taking your yoga off the mat. So, mm -hmm. so many times people think of, well, I'm doing yoga mm -hmm. and that's my, my hour or whatever Monday it is. at six, I do yoga. Monday at six, I do yoga. <laughs> and then the rest of the time... You know, I don't pay attention to my posture. I don't pay attention. I don't pay attention. I'm encouraging people to pay attention all the time. Like right now, just freeze for your listeners. Just, <laughs> but don't stop breathing. So do breathe. And what I would invite you to do is notice your posture. Now, what are you sitting on? Maybe you're sitting on a chair. What part of your, are you sitting on your sit bones? What relation are your shoulders to your sit bones? What relation is your ear to your shoulder? So can you sit in seated mountain pose all the time? So I'm doing my best to sit all, whenever I'm sitting, in my car, um, at the kitchen table, when I'm working, and stand. You know, you're in the grocery store, you're pushing the cart down the aisle. Are you all slumped over into one hip? Um, can, you, can you bring these lessons off the mat and into your life. Because you can do a great practice and then you can go sit in front of your computer with your spine shaped like a C and it's not going to have the benefits that you would like. So yeah, the whole purpose of Yoga Spark. So I would, you know, as a yoga teacher and as a yoga therapist, it's not uncommon for people to come back, you know, the next week and I'd say, how'd your practice go? Well, I didn't really have time. I, I should have probably didn't practice. But that thing you told me about taking a bit breath about after the, I do that all the time. And the thing you told me about uh, coming up onto your heels when you're, when you're brushing your teeth, I do that all the time. So I thought, let's put together a book of practices that you can do in 60 seconds or less, things that you can weave into your day. Um, and this is a way to make, so yoga is a way of life. It's an awareness. Um, you know, parking, when you go to the store, parking in only one parking space, not taking up two parking spaces. That's a yoga practice. So one of the principles of yoga is aparigraha, which is greedlessness, which means not taking more than you need. And how many times have you gone to the parking lot and some jerk has taken more than one space and you don't have any room? So being being careful to, um, you know, just to be, be kind to yourself and others, looking people in the eye when you're, now we're all wearing masks, so you've got the eye, making <laughs> eye contact with the, with the clerk. You know, kindness is contagious too. And what a, what a better world we would have if, if we would all share that. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah. 
all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests, like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash menopause. I can tell you, it works. Okay, that's our show. Join me next week for a special hit play, not pause guest, the mobility master himself. Yes, the show's very first male guest, Kelly Starrett of The Ready State. Kelly has been a tremendous friend and ally in the Women Are Not Small Men movement. He is a giant proponent of Dr. Stacey Sims' work, and we had a really terrific conversation. You won't want to miss it. Tune in next week. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.